morning. It's really good to see you. You know, Advent is rightly celebrated as a season of new beginnings, but the story begins at a dead end. You see, when we arrive at the beginning of the Christmas story, in Matthew chapter 1, heaven has been seemingly silent for nearly 400 years. Since the time of Malachi the prophet, God has not spoken, nothing has moved. It would seem as though it has been 400 years of silence. Because when you turn the page in the last book, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, and you turn into the New Testament, you have turned 400 years of history. Matthew in chapter 1 gives us 14 generations between Abraham and King David. 14 more generations between King David and the exile of God's people to Babylon. And then 14 more generations from the exile to the birth of Jesus and to his earthly father, Joseph. Over those centuries and millennia, in that time it was a continual cycle of God giving himself to his people and then them rejecting him. God giving the law to his people for them to live by and they broke it. God giving them prophets to speak directly from the heart of the Father to the heart of the people, and they despised them, and in some cases even murdered them. So after 14, sorry, 42 generations all in all, of God trying to break through to his people, through the law, through the prophets, 42 years of frustration, 42 years of difficulty, 42 years, sorry, 42 generations of God sending his servants none of whom could absolutely and totally redeem and rescue his people. 42 generations of struggle, 42 generations of wondering when this Messiah would come. See, God sent many foreshadowings of the Messiah, but none were truly the Messiah himself. None were truly the Messiah that would truly save his people from their sins and restore a broken world. So by the time we come to Matthew 1, the beginning of the Christmas story, we're at a dead end. It seems as though all options to rescue God's people have been tried and tested. 400 years of darkness until the light came. Until the light came. This Messiah, this Savior, this fulfillment of prophecy from down those 42 generations, the answer to humanity's problem did not come as a warrior or as a politician, but as a baby. And in this baby, Jesus Christ was the very embodiment of a message from heaven to earth, a message of hope, of joy, of love, and of peace in this baby. The theme of our message this morning is joy. Hope, joy, love, peace. The theme of our message this morning is joy. Would you pray with me one last time? Father, just before we step into the word that you have for us this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds that we would hear from you. Father, we've all come in from very different weeks this week. We've all experienced very different things. 
Some of us have had a good week. Some of us have had not so such a good week. But Lord, no matter how we've come in, I pray, Father God, we would know that we have been touched by God on the way out those doors today. In Jesus' name, amen. So throughout the Bible, there are several Hebrew and Greek terms that, that are different words, but they all kind of mean the same thing. They, they mean this word, joy. Joy, and we see it throughout the scripture. In fact, if you read the NIV version, joy appears 218 times. Joy is a frequently used term. It, is a frequently, it was a frequently felt feeling throughout scripture. And we can experience joy in lots of different ways. In Psalm 65, we can read that joy is found in the beautiful and good things in life, like creation. In Jeremiah 33, we read that joy can be found in a wedding, but not wedding planning, and I'm saying that from experience. Proverbs 23 says that parents can find joy in their children. An old Hebrew proverb says that, or compares the joy that a good perfume gives to your senses is like the joy a good friend gives to your heart. And we kind of have a grasp of what joy is. We know the word. We're familiar, many of us, I'm sure, with the feeling of joy, of being overcome and overwhelmed by joy. We know where we can find joy. We know the things that bring us joy. But what is joy? What is joy? See, if we look at hope, hope we can kind of define after what Pastor Philip taught us last week. And we've, we've taught before in church, we know what, what peace is and we know what love is. But I don't know about you, but for me, actually describing and defining joy can feel a little bit ambiguous at times. Because joy, joy is like happiness and yet it's not happiness, is it? It's, it's, like, it's kind of like happiness and yet it's not. Joy is one of those things that can be difficult to wrap our heads around. So this morning, I'm going to ask this question, what is joy? The first thing is this, joy is a good feeling. It is experiential. Joy is a good, overwhelming feeling. The second one is this, joy is in the soul. In other words, it's not of the body. It's in the heart and it's in the soul, the invisible places of you and I, the heart and the soul, the invisible part of who we are. Joy is found in the soul. Now, the body may be affected by joy. Sometimes you might, you know, if, if you're really feeling overwhelmed, sometimes you might sing for joy. You might cry tears of joy. It's, it's almost like there's butterflies or electric shooting through our body when we know this feeling of joy. But the body moving is not joy in and of itself. Or the experiences or the results of joy that we experience in our bodies is not joy itself. Rather, joy is in the heart and it comes from the soul. Joy is not the movement of the body. Joy is the movement of the heart and the soul. Joy, not the movement of the body, but of the heart and of the soul. Do you remember that song from Sunday School? I was really trying to wrap my, my head around this over the week. And I was in the car um, on the way to church, not this morning, it was during the week. But um, just so you don't think I'm preparing the sermons on the way in the car to church. And it was that song, and if you've maybe grown up in church, you'll maybe be familiar with it. Now, I'm going to sing the first part of it, and I need you to finish it off for me, because I'm not the best singer. So, I've got that joy, joy, joy. Where? Where? Balcony, I can hear you. Thank you. 
hard today. So joy, if we, if we clue into even what some of us have maybe been taught when we were little. Those of you who weren't brought up in church were like, what just happened? Like, what was going on there? But even from when we're little and we teach our kids that the joy isn't in the body. Joy is in the heart and it's in the soul. The third thing is this. These movements of the heart and the soul are produced by the Holy Spirit. See, we just can't make joy happen. Joy is not artificial. Joy cannot be kind of conjured up in emotion because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, and in the middle, joy. So the joy that we experience in our hearts and in our souls toward the Lord is coming directly from the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing is this. The Holy Spirit does this by causing us to see the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit when he causes us to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. You see, joy isn't something that the Holy Spirit can switch on and switch off, but we know from John 16, 14, that one of the reasons, one of the key reasons that the Holy Spirit has come, one of the key reasons that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is that we would see Jesus as he is is that the Holy Spirit would point toward Jesus and would reveal to us Jesus in all of his glory and all of his power and all of his beauty. Joy, true joy, is a feeling. It is to be experienced. It is in the heart and in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit when he causes us to see Jesus. That's joy. That is joy. It is a feeling in the heart and the soul produced by the Holy Spirit when he reveals to us and he shows us who Jesus is. Now, the Christian story and the Christian narrative, in fact, it's not even in the Christian narrative, even if you're not a believer today and you've come to church, I think we can all agree on something, that, that we live in a world that, that's not quite right. That we live in a world that, that, that battles with struggle and, and it battles with suffering. It's not a world where nothing ever goes wrong. And Christians, we know we don't have the luxury of huddling together and singing kumbaya and everything's going to be fine until Jesus comes back. But rather, we live in a world destroyed by our own sin and our own suffering. And a world that is marked by pain and marked by loss. But this is where the Christian faith gives us a unique perspective and joy. We see throughout the Bible God's people adopting this attitude that even in suffering, we can know and experience joy. Even in suffering, we can have joy. We can have joy in suffering. If you take, for example, the Israelites on their way out of Egypt, when they were slaves, God raises up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were a long way from the promised land, even though they were vulnerable in this wide open space in the desert, they sang, joy came exploding and rushing forward from their heart and their soul. 
In fact, the psalmist looks back on this in Psalm 105 and said, The Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. Now, my question is this. Why were they experiencing joy in their suffering? How in suffering can we experience joy? Well, it's like this. For God's people, their joy was not determined on what was around them, but rather their joy was about where they were going. Their joy was not based about where they were. Their joy was based on where they were going, to the promised land. And for us as believers today, the same thing applies because our joy is not based on our present circumstances, whether those circumstances are good or whether those circumstances are bad, but rather our joy comes from the fact that we know where our future destination is, that there is such a thing as a new heaven and a new earth. There is such a thing as when Jesus returns to claim his people. We know that our joy does not rest on the present sufferings, but our joy rests on the fact that we know where God is taking us if we believe in him. That just like the people of Israel, we too have a joy that is determined about not where we are, but where we're going. Paul was the same. Paul is another example of joy and suffering. Sitting in a filthy Roman prison, he could say that he chose joy even when that meant losing his life for the sake of the gospel and for following Jesus. He called this the joy of faith. The joy of faith. And in Philippians 3, he calls it the joy of the Lord. The joy of faith and the joy of the Lord. And what this meant for Paul was that like even in death there was cause for joy. Because the Holy Spirit would reveal to us this morning that even in death and even in loss there is the joy of faith and there is the joy of the Lord that tells us, that informs us, that would reveal to us that even in death we have a Savior. And we want to get this reality this morning. We want to get this right into our hearts and right into our minds. That we don't worship a Savior. We don't worship a God who is dead. But we worship a Savior who defeated the grave itself. Even in the loss and the pain and the agony of death. We have a Savior who can bring us joy because he has defeated death itself. Now, this doesn't mean joy and suffering that we ignore what we're going through or that we try to bury our emotions or we bury our feelings because that's not healthy and in fact, it's not even necessary. Paul didn't do that. Paul, even in his anguish and his, his pain, he often wrote about losing friends, losing touch with loved ones and, and even losing his freedom. But even in the midst of all of that, Paul says this, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. See, Paul was being totally honest about where he was and what he was feeling. But even in the midst of his difficulty, even in the midst of his suffering, although his heart was aching, he knew that he could still claim joy. And maybe for you this morning, that word is for your heart. Although your heart might be aching, and we all have different reasons as to why we go through things. But even if you're sitting here this morning, and your heart is aching, 
the Lord would let you know this morning that even in your pain and even in your suffering, you can find joy in him. You can find joy in him. Now, this whole idea, you might be thinking of joy and suffering, this idea of, of something exploding and rushing from the heart and the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. Jordan, that sounds great. Sounds lovely in a platform. Sounds great in a sermon. But what does that actually mean for my life? How does that actually work in practice? It works like this. Suffering is not about the absence of joy. But rather we know that joy can be found in the presence of suffering. It means that suffering and hardship and dark days. And as this wee verse tucked away in Nehemiah. It works like this. Joy in tough times is your strength. Joy in tough times is your strength. That's the value of joy and suffering. Joy becomes your strength. In Nehemiah 8 verse 10 at the end of the verse Nehemiah says to the people of God, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we don't have time to go into all the reasons Nehemiah had to say this, but long story short, God's people find themselves again in the situation where things are dark. It's a tough time economically, socially, and spiritually for the people of God. And yet Nehemiah steps in and says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the joy of the Lord is a strength because it's a joy, just like we talked about, that springs from the heart and the soul. It's not based on the present circumstances. It's about seeing who Jesus is. And then, this is why it's strong, it causes us to continue looking at Jesus. It realigns our hearts and pushes us to a place where we worship God and put Jesus at the center, no matter what's happening around. So here's why his joy is his strength. It, put Jesus, it puts Jesus at the center. And if I have Jesus at the center... I have peace at the center. If I have Jesus at the center, I have hope at the center. If I have Jesus at the center, I have stability at the center. Joy is a strength because joy moves Jesus right into the center of my mind, right into the center of my heart. And where I have Jesus at the center, I have everything I need. When Jesus is at the center through joy. Joy of the Lord means that even when everything around me is falling apart, when nothing is going right, when everything is going wrong, when everything is falling apart, joy shows us that Jesus stands in the middle and he holds us together. That when everything around me is falling apart, Jesus shows me that he stands in the middle and he's holding me together. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is your strength. Not a nice feeling or, or something that sounds good, but joy in your circumstances and where you are in life today. Joy is your strength. The last one is this. Joy is in Jesus. You know, in the Christmas story, we know that Mary rejoiced. We know that the angels brought a message of joy. We know the shepherds were 
evidently and clearly joyful in their worship and their praise when they got this news that the Messiah they'd been hoping for had arrived. We read the right wise men were overjoyed when they saw the star that led them to Jesus sometime after his birth. But the one person we never read of in connection to joy is Joseph. The exception of, uh, of Matthew, look, or poor Joseph usually gets stuck to the back of the nativity scene with the sheep, doesn't he? Joseph is someone we don't really read about in connection directly with joy. And while we don't want to assume things that the Bible doesn't tell us, there are some Messianic Jewish scholars who would believe and who would argue that as Joseph held his baby boy in his arms, the words of Isaiah, being a Jewish man, would have, would have came booming to his heart and booming to his mind through 700 years of history, the words of the prophet. As he would have held the baby, he would have, maybe Isaiah 7 would have came to his mind saying, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Or Isaiah 9 that says, the famous one, the people in darkness have seen a great light. But if you read on, it says this. The promise from Isaiah in that prophecy, and again, these scholars believe that all this stuff would have came rushing to Joseph's mind. That God would increase the joy of his people because of Jesus. And in turn, his people would rejoice in him. That through Jesus in Isaiah 9, through a prophecy 700 years before his birth, as Joseph held this baby boy in his arms, he may have been reminded that God was restoring joy to his people, that his people would once again rejoice in him. Joseph likely would have realized that the joy promised through a future savior and liberator to God's people was now in his arms. It is significant that in Luke chapter 2, 10, the angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. Good news that brings great joy. Joseph was holding the good news in his arms. Jesus is the good news this Christmas that brings joy. The good news is Jesus himself. And so as Joseph stood there looking over this baby, he was looking at the good news, which brings joy. Don't worry, my boy. You'll be nice and warm. I wrapped you in your mother's old blanket. <laughs> Some star we've had, huh? A 90-mile walk, just so you can get born in a stable. <laughs> you know, if we were back home in Nazareth, oh, I could build you a fine crib. But here, no crib. I have to put you to sleep in the hay. visit from an angel. Mm -hmm. 
and to write it down so I wouldn't forget what it said. Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary for your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear the son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will save the people from their sins. hear that? You will save us from our sins. You will be, you are the Messiah. And I've been chosen to be the Messiah's Papa. <laughs> I do not know how it will happen, but I'm Undoubting. I want to tell you how happy that you make me. No, it's more than happiness. It's, what did the shepherds say the angels told them? In fact, eight days later in Jesus' life as a baby, as Joseph looked into the face of his son at a circumcision, the first, son, the first time his son would bleed and cry out in pain, he would be looking into the eyes of his earthly father as Jesus was being welcomed into God's covenant people. The final time Jesus would bleed would be 33 years later upon a Roman cross. Jesus would cry out for the last time, while he made a way for all people to enter into covenant and relationship with God for all eternity. God saves, Jesus saves. And the joy of the Father, both on earth and in heaven, remains more than we can possibly imagine this Christmas. But rest assured, the hopes and fears through all the years are still met in Jesus this morning. Because he still saves and it is still his joy to do so today he is the good news that brings great joy just as it was for joseph over 2000 years ago may the joy of advent be yours this christmas let's pray father we thank you lord for all that you've done for the message and the meaning that Christmas brings. And Father, no matter what we're going through in this season, for those of us, God, where this season might be tough in the home, 
for those of us, Father, who have suffered loss and who have suffered pain. I pray, Father, that we would have joy in our suffering. I pray, Lord, this year that joy would be our strength. And Father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal Jesus to us, that we would know joy deep from within our hearts, deep from within our soul. Father, we pray that it would come rushing, that it would come exploding from the very depths of who we are, joy when we realize when it has been revealed to us, the beauty, the majesty of Jesus. Father, this Christmas, I pray that we would know your joy. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen.